episode 188 above ground podcast lose yourself with donna from james warriors disclaimer the hosts of this podcast will foley and tpp are not medical professionals and this is not medical advice both will and tpp have first-hand experience with mental illness they have their own perspective and own thoughts on mental health challenges Above Ground Podcast was birthed to help those who struggle with their mental health through honest dialogue. By speaking openly and sharing tools, they foster connection. By fostering connection, they convey hope. With connection and hope, we can continue to increase awareness. These conversations aim to break down the walls while building stronger foundations for positive mental health. This is Above Ground Podcast. Coming at you live with real conversations about mental health from the peer perspective. It's time for Above Ground Podcast. Now your hosts, TPP and Will Foley. Hey, what is up everyone? Welcome to Above Ground Podcast. Above Ground Podcast, because you can't serve below. Welcome to episode 188, which we're going to get to in a moment. But first, I wanted to give you an update. TPP, uh, our own TPP, Timmy's book launch has been pushed off until March 5th. Originally slated for February 12th, well, that's Super Bowl Sunday. And guess what? You're not going to get many attendance on Super Bowl Sunday unless you're doing something Super Bowl related. So had to be swapped out, man. However, it's a great way to kick off spring because... Never underestimate the power of you. You know what I'm saying? So Sunday, March 5th at 6 p.m. at the Sages Circle in Glenville, New York. That's our new favorite spot, man. The Sages Circle is the premier metaphysical boutique in Nippertown. Jamie is an amazing woman, and she has such an amazing place there. So please go there. Get all of your spiritual items that you need for anything. Check it out. The Sages Circle, 443 Saratoga Road, Glenville. That is Route 50 for all of you Nippertown locals. And Timmy is doing his official kickoff book launch for Never Underestimate the Power of You on Sunday, March 5th at 6 p.m. He'll be discussing the book, selling the book, and let's get some people out. It'll be a good time, and it's a good way to start spring, and it's something to look forward to. Now, this week's episode uh, is a very special one. We have Donna Thomas from James's Warriors on Episode 188, Above Ground Podcast, Lose Yourself. Hey, what is up, everyone? Welcome to Above Ground Podcast. Above Ground Podcast. Because you can't serve below. What up, TPP? What's going on, buddy? It's a beautiful Sunday morning. Sure is. It's It's been a while, too, man. It's been a little feel, while since. I feel like it's been a while. Yeah, I'm missing, uh, I'm missing our conversations. Yeah, man. We and we have a good one this morning. Uh, this morning we are joined by Donna from James Warriors, and James Warriors is a not-for-profit uh, started down in the Red Hook area. Is that what I'm assuming? Dutchess County. Dutchess County. Wappingers so, Falls. Yeah. Wappingers Falls. So we got the five one eight. We got the lower part of the state. We got We're them doing, both. We got them both. It's awesome, Donna. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, this morning. Can you tell our listeners what James Warriors is and why you started it? Sure. So first of all, thank you for having me. Um, obviously, the more we talk about suicide and mental illness, we change that stigma. So I am very grateful for this opportunity. 
So James's Warriors was built on love for my son, James Thomas, who died by suicide in October of 2018. He was just 19 years old. James was never diagnosed with a mental health illness. So it has come as a shock to family and friends that this occurred. But really, very quickly, at James's wake, I started to realize how many people, especially that teenage, early, you know, uh, 20s, who suffer from anxiety, depression, OCD, and other things. And I thought to myself, though I suffer from anxiety now due to the death of James, and I'll talk to you about how I teach kids about coping, and we make coping kids at, you know, our presentations. But truly, I didn't know, like, I'm one of those people you just get up and you do it. What do you mean you can't get out of bed? Why didn't you shower today? That seems ridiculous, right? We have this whole image of what a depressed person looks like or anxiety or my son didn't look like that on paper. You know, he was, I mean, I'm his mother. So of course, very handsome, right? But James was one of those people who was very, very funny. Most people would say he was popular. He had a girlfriend who was in Oneonta, um, going to school to be a special ed teacher. James had just become a master barber. He was working. He had a plan, right? Future plans. Like he was going to save money while Danielle was in school. They're going to move to the Saratoga area because now that's where we live. And like there was this whole plan. And then so in one weekend, everything shifts and changes. Now, James, right before he died, he has a fight with his girlfriend. And I say this in my presentation, like, he didn't even look like my son, the way he was talking. And I could see like his eyes, the thoughts that were going on. And I said to him, James, something's not right. You need to speak to somebody, which he agreed. And that was on a Sunday. That following Thursday, instead of going to his appointment, he decided to end his life. So what does James's warriors do, right? During COVID, I work in a school, right? And I'm in school suspension. So not much for me to do. You know, I'm checking on my little kids. You know, they're still doing the bad things that they were doing prior to COVID. And I decided, you know what? I'm, I'm going to start this organization. And that's what I did. I did all the paperwork to become a nonprofit. And so what we do is we go into schools. I partner with Dr. Jamie Arnoff from BFF Therapy in Beacon, New York. She's wonderful because she's tiny and petite and she looks like a kid herself. So the kids really love her. And we go into schools and I talk about myths, coping, and James's story. And I go into very, de very specific details because I think for all of us, right, though my son had this episode, right, before he died, did I ever think like, he's going to die by suicide? Absolutely not. But going back through, you see little things that you think of, oh, you know what? That was probably a sign, right? Just like simple things like this. Right before this, that month, he was saying he his feet hurt, right? And he wasn't sleeping and, you know, all these like physical things. And so as a mom, you know what I do? I get on the Amazon, right? I'm going to fix his room up. I bought a salt, one of those salt lamps, right? Sound machine. Remember, everyone got a weighted blanket. I bought them for everybody. Even my dogs have one, right? I got the weighted blanket. Yeah, no, I, I'm, I'm going to fix his problems, right? I have, the, you know, uh, every night, because I'm one of those mothers, right? I'm lavender, you know, putting lavender, right? Essential oils everywhere, right? My house has smelled of multiple scents, right? Because I'm going to cure him of whatever's bothering him. And again, you know, I was that mom. I was involved in sports. I was PTA president or vice president. Like, I probably shared everything. I was... 
always there for my kids. I taught CCD. So how could this happen to me? Right. How could this happen to my son? And I, right after James died, I was in um, a study in Columbia University about grief. And those doctors there taught me so much about the brain and about how to, you know, neuro lines in your brain where you have to learn to stop thoughts. And so I said to myself, I'm going to share what I've learned, right? Because I've always been a volunteer. You know, I took care of dogs. I did dog rescue. And I felt like for me to heal, this is what I need to do. And so that grew into James's Warriors. Um, we were very fortunate in our first year. We spoke at a couple of schools in Dutchess County. And Mark Molinaro, who now just became a congressman, but uh, was the county executive, had given us $25,000 to speak to any school that asked in Dutchess County. Um, so our message has gone out to a lot of schools. We um, have gone through Saratoga High School, Boston Spa, um, Lemoyne College. So we're like hitting the road. And I think what kids look at it is, as you can tell, I am a talker. This is how, it's a conversation, right? I'm not up there with the stick because I remember, like I said, as I said earlier, like I work in schools and sometimes you get organizations come in and they have the slideshow. Kids are not relating to the slideshow, but they are relating to because when they see pictures of my kid and his diversified group of friends, he's anybody. All I want to do is just help people, and which we have. I get a lot of letters, some of James's teachers who have come out and said, you know, I also have mental illness and this has allowed me to come out. Some people are afraid to speak about it and I get it because, you know, if I went to, right after James died, I went out with a bunch of ladies and one lady didn't come and the other lady was saying, oh God, she's off from meds, blah, blah, blah. Like, and I thought to myself, that's the problem, right? I shouldn't even need to know that she's on meds or she's off her meds. And we shouldn't be talking about that because what are you doing? You're labeling her, right? You're making her sound like, you know, I always go, all right, what is mentally insane and mental illness? A lot of difference in between. You know, our goal is to change the stigma, to teach kids how to talk about their mental illness, to teach them how to deal with coping, right? Because when the bottom line is, is how do we cope? And even for myself, after James died, I journal every day, you know, those three gratitudes in the morning, I um, put positive mantras on my car on the way to work, you know, do a little meditation here. I'm definitely, now you can tell, like, it doesn't seem like I'm an outdoors person, but I'm laying in the dirt if I have to, like anything to ground myself, right? And I teach kids like simple things, make little coping kits for them. And I purchase this stuff from Dollar Tree to teach them to use their five senses. So I'll put in like, you know, aromatherapy, one of those little diffusers, right? And of course, I told you I'm big on the essential oils, right? That cures all. But sometimes that smell can bring positive thoughts, right? I tell the kids like, you are you can't get out of those thoughts. Put on that Disney movie that you watch 55 times in a row because that is going to generate. And then I say, move a muscle, change a thought, right? Even if you cannot get out of that chair, go to a different chair, right? Get up and go to a different chair. Um, we put in things like, even like those head scrubbers, right? Because when you go into the shower, you're getting up, you do that, there's a stimulation, right? And the brain is saying, do I like that? I'm not really sure. Does it feel good? But it stops that negative thought because we all think we're like, hey, we're multitaskers. We are not. It may be, I don't know what the scientific definition is, 
But from one thought to another, yes, it is very quick, but you can change it because you can't have two thoughts at the same time. At least I've never heard of any human being being able to hold that. That's great. <laughs> Thank you for, for sharing that. I wanted to just say first, obviously, sorry for the loss Thank you. Of, of James. I think it's great what you're doing, you know, going back to his age and talking with schools and, and even colleges, that age range is the second leading suicide is the second leading cause of death for that for that age range so i i'm not i just wanted to throw that out there because i'm not sure people are that in tune with it because you know again we don't talk about it as often as we should absolutely and i do say that at the presentations like girls attempt more but males succeed and i hate to use the word succeed or complete you know and yeah you know complete more and it's like those numbers, even when I do parent presentations, because we go in and I talk to parents also, right? What I learned, what I missed. And I always say, like, nobody in their right mind wants to think that their child could die by suicide. Nobody wants to think that. But if you look at the numbers, it's happening. You know, if people are dying. And I always say, like, when you talk about 45,000 people dying or 48,000 people dying that's a huge stadium, like Syracuse Stadium. I show the seating and I'm like, so everybody here has died by suicide. That's 45,000 families, 45,000 friends, teachers. So there, this is affecting huge numbers. And so if it's happening to me, unfortunately, it can happen to you. And so teaching, like you said, about the age group, we start from like sixth and seventh grade. And the, the, there is a little bit different. I don't go into such detail as I do with the older kids, but really I know that around 10 to 12, these negative thoughts start occurring. And they think that they're the only ones thinking this. I wanted to come back to something that you mentioned earlier <laughs> in our con- in the conversation about curing your son from these feelings or from, from his point of view. And I can only speak from my personal experience of dealing with my own suicidal ideation and my own suicidal issues that I've experienced this in my own family where people want to cure me of this and they feel that that's their thing that they have to like, they think that they can change my thoughts. And and the fact is, is that you can't change my thoughts because my ideation is, is based in all kinds of things in my head. And what I've realized doing this work and learning about suicide prevention from the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention, because that's how I came to this myself, is that my thoughts are mine, but I'm probably not going to die by suicide because I'm well aware of these things. And I, I have a language now to discuss it. And we talk a lot about language. What does it feel like now that have, have you realized, when did you realize that you couldn't cure your son of such a thing? Did it really take him ending his life to make that reality real? Like, was that, is, is that how this happened? And I, I don't, and I'm not trying to be flippant or anything by saying that. Oh no, listen, we need to have conversations like this because that's, that's why I talk to parents, right? Yes. And I, and I, and sorry to cut you off. I just wanted to make this one last point because that you mentioned this because this is a, one of the things that actually does help people is if you ask somebody, if they're thinking of ending their life, a lot of times people will just stop dead cold in their tracks and be like, wait a second, 
how did he know or how did she know or how does somebody recognize that? And that is actually, like you said, it's about changing that thought. And if you can stick something in there to grind that wheel to a stop for at least a second, you get that chance. So that's I, that's why I, I brought that up. So yeah. I apologize for cutting you no. off. No, no, please cut me off. You have to or I'll just talk <laughs> the whole time. Um, so here's the thing. When did I realize? So I think I didn't realize. So I told you I was in that study, right? And I also am very involved with AFSP. Like I went to their conferences in Houston. Our first year that we walked for them, we raised $20,000. We had over 300 people walk with us under James's name because um, I, I am very fortunate. I have a lot of support from the community. So how I started to realize is like I didn't understand the whole brain. And I am a reader. And that's what I started to dig into because I couldn't, I was always an advocate for my child, right? So how do I, and it sounds bizarre, advocate for his death? Like I need to explain to people, not to, to be like, you know, because there's always a stigma, like what's going on in the family? Why did they do that? There must be, you know, some back, dark background. And what I tell people is like, here's a dark background. We have mental health illnesses in my family that we didn't know until after James died. Like old aunties are telling me, you know, like so-and-so had electric shock treatment. And I'm like, maybe this would have been important. Right. So there's a huge hereditary factor. And I'm in another study that I can't really talk about, but, and they always blame the mother. Let's just put it that way. I, so it's interesting that you say that because my mother, <laughs> I, I talk about my mother on the show all the time because my mother has schizoaffect disorder. I'm bipolar too. So, and she's actually attempted twice in my life. And what's kept me here is that I have a child myself. And I know that if I attempt, it puts her at X amount of time, greater risk of her attempting. And if I complete it, it puts her at an even greater risk of attempting and completing herself. And the cycle doesn't end. And that was the whole point for me of doing this and keeping doing this work is that I wanted my cycles to end. I did. I wanted to leave a legacy behind of healing and not pain. Yeah. So I commend no. and I'm, and let me just say, I am so sorry <clears throat> that you had to lose your son to have you create such an incredible movement and organization. It's great to have conversations with people like yourselves who live this from dawn till dusk. And you know, that's I, what, go ahead. I'm so sorry. I just, well, no, I, I just wanted to say something you touched on real quick. And I, I think it's important is, is the, the whole stigma behind it is, you know, what happened and there must be this dark cloud. And, and, and I, we have been fortunate to talk with many families, many people who are survivors of suicide. And I'll tell you more times than not, there was never any of these indications or signs or any dark cloud that followed. It was, you know, tight knit families. Some people were very religious. They were open with their children. And, um, you know, these things, unfortunately, sometimes just happen. And I think doing what you're doing and by talking about it, doing what we're doing and, and trying to get people to open up and, and just say, hey, you know what, there might be something along the family, you know, in the lines that happened, or you may have these thoughts yourself and, and, and it's okay. It's not, you're, you know, having these thoughts doesn't make you a bad person. It doesn't define who you are. You know, these thoughts are probably more common than we know, but no one talks about them. Right. So I, I just want I, I, I just find that very in, interesting that we have talked with all these people and very few were 
yeah, there were signs. We, we, we knew this was coming or, or he had, she had problems, you know, for, for months beforehand, a lot of it was very sudden. And there's, you had talked about the brain and there's a survival mechanism we all have. And once we lose that survival mechanism, for whatever reason is, is usually a, um, an erratic instant choice, you know? So sometimes this, this may have variables leading up months before, but it's usually a, a very instant in that moment decision. Even at our presentations, James left a note and I read that to the high school kids and the college kids. I read the note and people are like, why are you doing that? Because sometimes we think people who choose to die by suicide, right? That there's this such a disconnect, right? Their disconnect is that they can't take their pain anymore. They can't take those thoughts. They can't live that everyday life feeling numb or, you know, there's so many, as you know, so many things. But even in his note, like he says a message to my daughter and he goes through a bunch of stuff. And then he says, Shannon, um, please marry Rich, right? Because we always call my daughter Shannon a lot. Like she's a lot of maintenance. She's a lot. You know what I'm saying? So like, even in his letters, like with the guys that he worked for at the barbershop, you know, he, he expresses gratitude to them and then says, you know, someday I'm going to be better than you guys, LOL. You know what I'm saying? Like, so it gives people a clear picture of this is his note exiting this world, right? And so it's not always what people think it is, right? It's not always, um, and I tell kids too, just because you have thoughts doesn't mean that you're going to die by suicide, right? We all through times. I mean, I do, which I'm organizing right now, a mother's retreat. And we did our first one last year because who thinks about death more than after a suicide? When your child dies, you give hope, right? There is no hope, right? Life has changed dramatically. Um, I remember when I went to grief counseling, they said to me, you will lose most of your friends. And I would say, what? My friends? No, I wouldn't. But you change as a person, right? I, I don't want to have conversations of BS. Like that's too too much for me. I, I, I don't want to hear gossip. Not that I'm a perfect angel, you know what I'm saying? But things change, your perspective changes, right? Your kindness changes. You look at people differently, right? I look at things like that person is acting that way because it doesn't mean, I, and I'm disconnected from people and love them from afar. But the mother's retreat, I learned so much from these moms. I mean, we meet once a month and um, we got together for a weekend and I had like a spiritual healer come and we're on the water and it was very beautiful. But here's what I learned. I have a woman who her child died 18 years ago and a woman who was six months and you, their experiences and stories are so different, but you gain so much knowledge. Like one, her kids struggled. She said at two years old, I noticed that he felt different. He felt like kids were different towards him, you know? And then we had the one who was 18 years and her son was kind of like James, right? Like on paper, wonderful. And then here we are and they die by suicide. So I always tell people suicide is very complicated. So much goes through that. It is very, you know, you have environmental, you have hereditary, you have so many things that come about. And so people, you know, want to, bulk it up to one thing but it's so much i really do feel that the hereditary part plays a bigger part than they say it does because i've i've seen that minimized in so many things about the heredity thing and i've heard that and read it in books that heredity may not 
may not be a factor, but I, I would like to beg to differ just because I wouldn't have the experience had I had in my life, had it not been for all this. So how can that not affect you? Whether or not it's your genes or not is one thing. Environmental though, I definitely, environment is definitely a factor in my opinion, for sure. Right. However, again, like you said, it's not necessarily that sometimes it's, it's an impulsive thought at a time. And it's, it's all these factors that cascade down. And I know for myself, it was a lot of that. It was, it was the self doubt. It was, my life was caving in on top of me. And I had literal things going on everywhere in my world that were just making my world so difficult to bear anymore. What did it, what was James like outside of this? Because obviously James's legacy is, is this, but what was James like? Like, what was he into? Oh, like, he was, it, he that's, was the, like, that's what I want to hear about. I want to hear about right, the memory. You hear about James? He was, uh, if you ask anybody, and I say this all the time, if you ask people to describe him, they would say he was a funny mf'er, right? He was one of those kids. Like one time I was, I drove to the supermarket, you know, I had a, I had a big, you know, suburban, whatever. I go to get my bags out of the car. Cause I've always used like the real, and he's in there and he jumps out and he scares me. Right. Like silly stuff like that. If he, I would come home and he rearranged the furniture in the house. He's just one of those kids. Like if you were sitting there watching TV, he'd come up behind you. Very affectionate, very huggy. My connection to him was that he was just really really funny and like I say to kids all the time like if you were at a party and I'm not saying this because he's my son you want to hang out with him and about the impulse I talk to kids about impulse and parents about impulse because James was diagnosed with um, ADHD right attention deficit so that and again I just suppose this I am not a medical doctor I am not I have no degrees in this it's, this is my personal opinion. There is a connection, I believe, at least for my son, with that impulsivity to react right away, right, without thinking about consequences. And so kids and consequences, it's like we need to teach those kids, especially, you know, like that kid that's walking down the hall and hits every locker for no reason because it's there, jumps up and hits the light, you know. Um, is the first kid, if we're going, like my son, if we used to go to Lake Placid and, you know, they have the cliff jumping, right? He's the first one, he's running and just jumping, right? Doesn't look, doesn't, those are all part of the mind, like that instant gratification kind of mind that's really impulsive um, and kids relate to that. I get a lot of kids when I speak, like, I feel like that, like I make, the, I do things and I don't think about the consequences or I don't pause. And that's what I say to them. You're feeling like this, you got to figure out a pause. We also talk to kids about how to, like, when you have kids who talk about to each other about mental illness, right, that person that they're telling, where's the line, right? When do you tell somebody? How do you support your somebody? But you need support. It's like we have to come together as a community and kind of set standards. Um, one of my goals this year is to work with schools to set protocols, realistic protocols, not these do you feel like you want to hurt yourself five days? No, no. We want to talk to them as human beings and say, this is our protocol. If you're feeling this way, we're going to do this. 
and make it realistic. The other thing is, I, and I think I wrote this at schools, which I have a hard time. So if a kid is seeing a counselor at school for that 18 minutes, so now we're going to talk about the darkest things that are happening in your life. And now please go to physics and do well. Where's that break, right? Where's that? Let me release that. Where's, you know what I'm saying? There's so many well, I think that. Things right there is a piece that even in general to someone that may not experience any mental health challenges, there is no break for these kids these days. When we we were younger, there was recess. We had like a 45 minute lunch. Now they have like a 20 minute lunch. And by the time they get, get standing in line to get the food and sit down, like, boom, there's the bell. You got to rush, rush, rush. Everything's rush. Everything's rushing. It's like, it's, it's amazing to me. It's amazing that someone does not see this. But, you know, I think what you're doing, I think what you're doing is awesome. I think the what you're teaching these kids to pause and just the language, I think it's phenomenal. And I hope you never stop. And I hope you get the support that you need to continue to do it. Honestly, well, that's the hard thing as a nonprofit. It's like I'm kind of a one man show. I have, you know, Dr. Jamie um, and I have a couple of, you know, friends on boards and like we're learning to do all those things. But like even with the kids. The, the mo this affected me huge in the beginning when I started to work. Um, so in school suspension, I meet a lot of kids, right? Um, and I had this kid who was in there for being silly. You know, he was on the lacrosse team and he sprayed something in somebody's sneaker. You know, funny kind of joke, right? But here we are, we're, we're talking, and he had I present in all of their health classes at the school that I worked at. He said to me, "I go, what's the hardest part, right?" Because he shared with me, and he goes, "You know what the hardest part is? Is when the teachers get on you, right?" You didn't do this. You didn't do that. And in your head, you already have a date. You don't need to do it because you probably won't be here. He goes, and sometimes, you know, obviously that date is extended. He goes, but that whole point of that urgency, and I can't do it today. Maybe if you gave me a chance, because I have teachers and I'm not, this is not against teachers. They're my colleagues and my friends. We're so set on, this is due this day. You have to do it on the, the computer on this folder. Don't do it in pencil. Don't. It's like all these don'ts, but sometimes they can't do it. They want to do it. No kid wants to go into a classroom and be a failure. Nobody wants to be the kid picked on by the teacher saying, why didn't you do this? Didn't you get this? We did this the other day. No kid wants that. So why do we keep doing that? We're just confirming to them. And I talk about this a situation with James and a teacher. No adult we wants are- that. I just want to add in. No adult, no human wants that, right? It, no. You know? And I, I think no. that's one thing that sometimes we lose is that when we become older, you know, adults or whatever you want, if oh, they, they should know better. Sometimes we don't. And I'll be the first no. to admit, I didn't know better. And I'm still learning. I'm still going to make mistakes and I'm still going to try better to do better. You know Absolutely. what I mean? It's, it's just a thing. It's not everyone. Everyone's different. You know, kids learn different. You can't have one standard and expect some kid that you you may not even know has a learning disability to follow the rules. And then when they don't follow the rules because they have a learning disability and they act out, you know what we do? We punish them. Right. Now, what, is, what does that do? Nothing. It, that, well, it, and I tell the teachers because I do superintendent conference days for teachers, staff, right? And I say to them, so what you say to a kid is so important, right? We all have frustrations, right? But when you go after a kid and say, didn't you know how to do this? Didn't you do you are confirming all those thoughts that they have in their head that they are useless. They have no purpose. They're not smart enough. They're not 
good enough in sports. You are confirming those thoughts, not intentionally, but as humans, we have to respect each other. There is a way to talk to a child and say, listen, your path is not correct. And here's our plan. Because to be honest with you, when you're a special ed student, you have this whole plan, right? Why don't we have plans for kids who are depressed, have anxiety, realistic tense, teaching them how to be in the classroom. And that's what I do with those coping kits, teaching them how to be in the classroom. Cause you can't walk out every five minutes, right? You can't walk out of your job. Cause, and I tell the kids all the time, I go, sometimes I'm in class, right? And all of a sudden that brain sends that message, your son died. He died by a gun. I see messages. I know it. And it's terrible. I can't just walk out of the classroom and be like, I have to exit. Right. I have to learn to stay there. I wanted to bring up something too about how we talked about the teachers and Tim and I have had many conversations about this and this has become sort of my thing about us being people who don't understand how to work on ourselves. And so many people are walking around wounded and they take it out on everything else. And I really think that if we were to actually sit down and do the work on ourselves, we would have a better community and we would have better teachers. We would have better doctors because I think a lot of it's, and granted, look, a lot of it is the system itself is just set up to, to spit, to spit out cookie cutter things. And exactly, you know, because it's all about all these kinds of things, but I will, I wanted to, because I wanted to talk really quick about the impulsivity thing again, because I have noticed this working with the individuals that I do in my, in my full-time job, that when you have a severe persistent mental illness, and these are people diagnosed with mental illnesses, that I realized also that impulsivity is hard to manage no matter what you're at. And if you have a mental illness, impulsivity is even harder to manage because oftentimes the things that they do to manage them actually have the opposite effect. And that's my personal opinion, just based on the individuals (coughs) that I work with and have seen and just my experience and history of all this, that so many people have the same diagnoses, they actually exhibit a lot of the same types of symptoms, but impulsivity can be driven even more depending on what medication you're on, whether you're on medication, whether you're getting electric shock, like all these things, like we, there's a benefit and then there's a negative side to all of it, at least in my own personal experience from what I've seen. And I totally agree with that. And with and the impulsivity- actually, yeah. And actually, and cause I, I want to be cognizant of your time. So I kind of wanted yeah. to t- tag this yeah. into something with the, ch- with the kids that you are <clears throat> coming to work with in the schools. What are you know? Do you, do they tell you that they're on this medication? Like, are they on AD? Like, I mean, look, if you're giving a kid Adderall, okay. Adderall is one of the most dangerous and potent things that I think that you can feed a brain. And for someone who has, those connection issues, Adderall can be a a, a, sa- a lifesaver for many people, but it can also throw you off the other side too if you have have those addiction type issues and stuff. So I was just wondering what the situation was with some of the students that you've worked with as far as like medication and and having diagnoses. And because we talked about, you talked about having an, a service plan. Like there's individual service plans for people when they come through the mental health system. Why can't we develop an individual service plan for these kids as they're going in with the counselor, sort of? Thing? Absolutely. I always think on these projects and I'm like, 
takes a lot of time. But that is absolutely where the impulsive to kids. When I speak at the end, I have a lot of kids who want to talk to me, right? Because I'm totally honest about what's going on. And they talk about medication. And sometimes kids will ask me, they're very bright. Was your son, did your son have ADHD? Did he, did he take medication for that? Did, because they are relating, right? So here's the thing. And I tell people, sometimes you need medication therapy, but you also need to be accountable for your own illness, just like the kids, right? Who have go to gym and they have to use their inhaler. If they don't use their inhaler, they're not going to do well because they can't breathe. They also need to be told in a way that their brain does not work the same as everybody else. And nobody's brain is exactly the same. The thing about pause is like, they need to know because there are studies and I think as time goes on, just like with the hereditary thing, I think you're going to see, because AFSP is doing big study, that's going to come out that there is a huge connection, I think, personally, not a doctor. But with the impulsivity, those kids are struggling just to sit in a chair. They're struggling to slow down their mind. So we're giving them medication. But when you talk to the older kids, the 17, the 18, who are about to go to college, they're afraid because they know the medication they feel like is not working anymore, right? They start to feel that panic again, like they aren't connecting again. I mean, I don't know what the cure-all is there, but we need to teach them pause, pause, because your brain is special. You don't, you think so quick, like even my own daughter, right? She got, right? There's so much, slow it, you know, slow it down. And to teach that, is hard because their brain is wired like that. And I tell my kids all the time, even with journals, I give everyone journals, right? I'm like, you don't have to write your whole life story. But if you have 28 thoughts, ding, 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 write down each thought that comes up, then determine which one you're going to work on, right? But they need a break. They need people to allow them to do that, right? They need people to, and kids will come to me and they're very sad stories. I had a kid not too long ago, which he tears me up every time I think about it. So he came to me, he said to me, you know, you could not have saved your son, right? And I looked at him, I die. He said, because no one will probably be able to save me. And I'm like, what? He goes, but what you're doing is great for some people. This is going to change people's lives, but it may not change mine. And I thought to myself, like, you know, you think you're going out there as Superman, right? You're going to cure the world. But there are people that their struggle is big. Will and I have both have talked about this uh, on multiple occasions that there there is no cure-all. And to be honest, you know, like it or not, hate me for saying it, but I don't think you're ever going to end it, suicide no. as a whole. I think mm -hmm. there's people that it's a choice for them. And at the same time, you know what? There's a thing called autonomy. And I understand that, you know, there's a lot of variables to this. But if someone believes that, if someone has it set in their mind and they can't, they've tried therapy, they've tried medication, they there's something inside that's wrong and it's just not connecting. And there's there's too much pain for them to to move forward, you know, it is an option for some people. So, you know, I I don't I don't have any answers, but I I just, I, wanted just, to, I just wanted to say this to to kind of piggyback on what you just said. This it doesn't become a choice until it's a choice. The choice, and that's and that's my like. It, you may not think it's a choice, but for me, it it is a choice, and it's a choice whether to live or die, and to stay on this planet or not. And no one can make that choice for me but me. 
And that's why like nobody realizes that it doesn't, everybody says that's not a choice. It doesn't become a choice until you make it a choice. And when you've reached that darkness and you've been in that room and you can't find the light switch, you just want it to end. You want the pain to end. And you can't even put your finger on the pain because everything is painful. Everything hurts. That's going back to what you said about your son talking about his feet and talking about physical ailments. We, the body keeps the score. Like Bessel van der Kolk's book is one of the best books on trauma that I've ever read. And it should be read by everyone in the mental health space. When you have all these issues emotionally and mentally, it will come out as physical ailments oftentimes. And it's interesting that you said he had a lot of feet pain because there's a lot of acupressure points in your feet. And it's like you, it goes to these chakras and, and, and I know, you know, some people are like chakras, that's too woo woo, but it's, the fact is, is that we are really just energy. We're just energetic beings that just happen to take human form. Because if you really yes. boil us down in a microscope, you see nothing at the base level of it, except the cell. And even I remember, so like my husband with James's death, now my husband's very different um, kind of personality. He's like that Italian from Brooklyn, very strong, um, like no one's going to take advantage of him, you know? Um, and he basically the first year was dying on my couch. He didn't, you know what I'm saying? And one day he says to me, I am going to respect his choice that he had to die. I cannot tell him when he was supposed to die. He chose that. And he said, and so for me to move on, I need to accept that. And I said, I understand, you know, like I'm just listening. And he said, because really, I don't know what he was going through. I don't know how it is to wake up and feel like that every day. And I don't know how that choice comes in. He goes, but there was a choice that he made and I have to accept it. And so I had a woman one time said to me, why is it bad that people choose to die? What do you mean? Why is it bad? They should be here. They should be with us. They should be living. They should be happy. I should be making dinner for you, right? This is why I always say it's so complicated, right? There's so many point of views, right? And now, like, for people like you who are starting to have conversations open, there's different facets of all of this. And no one is 100% right or 100% wrong. I, you know, was very religious before jeans, but not very, I mean, but I love the Jesus. Like my kids were acting up. I'd be like, you better go get some Jesus before you come down here. Right. Like <laughs> go get some Jesus. And, um, I was obviously so mad. Like, how could this happen to me? But this put me on a journey. Like, and this is going to sound weird. I would do anything to have my son back. I would kill, destroy whatever I needed to do for him to be here, even probably for five minutes, I would do it. But I have to say that because of his death, I've learned a lot of different things about connecting to the environment and, and earth and energy and, and all those things. That's what gets me through the day. Knowing that these, these life decisions, you have to accept and change what you didn't like about the situation or help others. And that's the whole thing. We need to talk. And just yesterday I posted on um, our, our account, uh, social media, because I had two friends who lost their fathers in the last couple of days, like last couple of weeks. And people are like, what? 
but that is actually the highest rate. Yes. We're Tim and I are in that. It's that, it's that, uh, up to what it's that 35 to 60 or 55, whatever. Right. And then as you get into seniors, even seniors above that are at a, like it's the third or fourth, I believe. If well, I'm I think mistaken. in the new numbers are between, because we're living longer, right? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> well, maybe, well, some um, of us are, <laughs> some of us. And again, that's a, and that's a choice too. Again, like a lot of this is choice and how we live our lives is a choice also. But I'm just seeing like, there's so much information in so many different areas. And I just think that we need to be kinder to each other. Bottom line, just be kinder. You can, I can have an argument with you and discuss things and not hurt you to where you feel bad about yourself, right? Um, there's also things like you can disconnect from other people who make you feel bad. Like you shouldn't be connected to people who are constantly making you feel bad about yourself, you know? So there's so much we need to learn as people and beings. And hopefully someday, I think, again, through these conversations, we will change the stigma. I think we're all in it to help and spread love and guide people, you know, guide people. I wanted to, I wanted to ask you something that you had, you had mentioned earlier about, I think you had said people in general, but you have changed who you are like you know things change you know grief changes you um do you can you like specifically point out one thing that you have noticed that you have changed so with the grief i have learned that things that i thought were so important like keeping the house clean not that my house is still clean people go like what <laughs> you're still on the floor but i think that i will like today in my gratitude journal, right? I wake up before I get out of bed, I write three things I'm grateful for, right? And last night, my daughter who, that's the other thing I'm working on too, siblings who lose their brother or sister, right? So my daughter and I were like this, and then we were like this up until about a couple of months ago. And I learned that I cannot, like we talked before, fix people. I realize that I will have grief. And so if I take a day that I am doing nothing, it's okay. It's okay to grieve. If I am open about my feelings, like I remember telling a mom one time, like sometimes I have a table here, right? In the, between the kitchen and the family room. And when James said, I know it's going to sound kind of dark, but I, I, I didn't make any decisions. They were like, I, I'm like, I'm not putting them in a hole. I'm not, so we, we have an urn, right? So James's girlfriend's like, don't put him in his room. That'll be weird, right? So we have the table here, right? And I remember somebody saying, you know, that's not nice for other people when they come to your house. And I said, what's not nice? You know, to have that there, it's kind of, what I learned from grief was if him being there, because it keeps him relevant, it keeps him a part of my family, that's nobody's business but myself. Though my child is dead, he is still relevant in my life. And so that's what grief has taught me, to stick up for what I need, not what everybody else needs. And so through meditation, gratitude, and learning to say, you know what, I'm not going to that today because I don't feel like it because I am sad today. And I cannot go because I will ruin your day. I didn't go to a, a shower, right? This is a hard part when your son or your child dies, right? 
as time goes on, their friends are getting married, they're having babies, right? And there's that loss, right? You don't lose just your child, you lose the future as well. And sometimes I don't go to those things, right? Because my head's not in it. And I'm not going to go there and be the kid, you know, the sad mom, right? Because I don't need to do that to them. But I can be able to say the choice. I am not attending. Like, I'm not making up stories. I'm not attending because I can't do that today. It's too hard for me. And that's that. That's great for you to recognize that. Um, we're all about tips and tools on the podcast. And we like to share. And I, I personally find that grounding for me is often walking in my lawn barefoot. And I'm curious to know what is one of your grounding techniques? Okay. I wish my daughter was here. Cause so not, not too long ago, maybe about a month ago, it was pretty warm here. And so her and her friends are up at her room and the girl, one of her girlfriends must've looked outside and she said, Shannon, maybe you should check on your mom. She's face first in the dirt. <laughs> so she's like, no, but she's like, she's fine. She goes, she's probably trying to, you know, absorb some kind of energy that she feels, but I feel grounded, right? Cause like now I'm a tree hugger. I literally, and I don't care. People can say I'm crazy. And I lost my mom because my, my son died. I'm comfortable with that. But like, I'll go out there. Like last night we were out in the hot tub, my daughter and I, and the moon was gorgeous last night. And there were so many stars and we were just looking and I was like, this is where I need, I feel so connected, you know, like I'm over dramatic. And my daughter's like, yeah, that's pretty. <laughs> and I'm all like, oh, I just want to absorb all that energy. So I don't care about what people think. I, it makes me feel good. And I always say this. So whatever my beliefs are now and what I do to kind of maintain my health, both mentally and physically, if when I die, I was wrong, it doesn't matter. I'll be dead. So it doesn't matter. I love it. That's great. That's awesome. Face down in the dirt. I have not tried love that. It. I love it. Oh, I love it's so it. good because you just feel like you're... And dirt does smell pretty good too. It can. Timmy, what do you got, buddy? <laughs> I don't I don't know what I have after that. You have to be aware of yourself and you have to to know what works and what doesn't work for you. And and I'm I'm hearing Donna kind of go through that and you know what she needs when she needs it. And I I think that's a that's an important tool for everybody is knowing one's limit knowing if you need a timeout and it's okay. Like, Hey, you know what? I can't handle this in this moment. I'm just going to take a, a walk or a 10 minute timeout or whatever it may be. And um, you know, these are, these are tools that, that, you know, can, can make a big difference in, in, in one's life. Well, even setting boundaries for yourself, like, you know, people feel like sometimes like if they, don't go to something or whatever. They have to make up a story, right? Or it makes you look weak. I don't feel like I'm a weak person. Do you know what I'm saying? I, I feel like I am a strong being who is going to look out for myself because if I don't, I can't help anybody else, right? And so if you're mad at me because I didn't show up or I can't, and I tell my friends now, I cannot be that friend. Like I have this beautiful friend. She sends me cards all the time, like love you, looking out for you, saw what you did, you know, blah, blah. I have never sent out a greeting card in my life. I, I, I'm like one of those people, like, I don't even have a stamp. I don't know. I can't do that. Right. <laughs> but I said to her, we were together on New Year's Eve. And I said, please know that I appreciate all of that. And though I may not acknowledge you, because you know what? My days sometimes at the end of the day, like the minute you wake up, you, you have this thought of, I don't know, happiness or whatever. 
And then that two seconds later, you know, that memory comes back that your son is dead. And so like, now you're struggling, right? You got to get up, you got to move, blah, blah, blah. And so like, people don't understand how, like, how tiring it can be to struggle with mental health. And so some days you can't do it. Actually, that I, that kind of brings up a really good point that we often forget when, obviously, Tim and I lost a really close friend of ours several years ago now. Um, I've lost, I've lost... I've lost uh, two very close friends and a, my first experience with a suicide loss was in high school with somebody that I, a sister of uh, somebody that I knew. And we don't recognize oftentimes that people with mental health issues are struggling and that struggle is very tiring. And I, and I just want to say thank you for bringing that point up. Because a lot of people don't recognize how tiring it is to be in the mind of someone's mind who doesn't shut off. It just never shuts off. And oftentimes it just goes faster and faster and faster until you can't stop it. And, and unless you, you know, have a, co- a coping mechanism, whether it's healthy or unhealthy. Thank you very much for sharing. And we're so sorry for your loss. And thank you. And thank you for turning it into to something that is, is going to benefit so many people. And and share the memory of your son. And that's the important yeah. part of all this is that we don't forget. And that's why to have you his urn in your living room makes perfect sense because he's still a part of the family. Yeah. And and, and I and that kind of goes back to that stigma thing. Is it that I wonder if people just can't understand that because of of the way that he died and the situation right. that it's in. And it's and it's sad that we have to live like that. Right. Well, I thank you gentlemen so much. And I love what you're doing. I just think, again, you know, AFSP language, the more we talk, right, talk changes lives. And so I thank you all for um, all that you guys are doing. I just want to recognize your husband and your daughter. Is is it that that you just have the one daughter? Yeah. Okay. I just wanted to recognize them. you know, cause we talk about James and we talk about your story and sometimes I, I just don't want anyone to feel left out. And I know it's probably um, as difficult as it is for them as it is for you. So. Thank you. You know, the sad part is that their personality is a little different. So when the warriors were started, they were kind of like, we don't want to hear about it. We don't want to be involved with it. Like I run these car shows to raise money and you know, it's pretty big. I have four or five bands, 15 food trucks. We had over 350 cars and they're like this and that's okay. That is okay. Right. I, that's fine. That's why I just wanted to give them a little recognition. Thank you. They'll all. love that. <laughs> so um, do you have a favorite or a least favorite word? Favorite or so my favorite word is um so it's so hard to think like I know I talked about this but the least favorite is I hate when people uh say commit because of that negativity and commit suicide or whatever so I always yeah. try to um tell people die by suicide makes more sense because it is a mental illness and they're not committing a crime they are you know so and my favorite word is hope love it love it and that's that die by suicide is another AFSP thing too, because that's where I started to learn it and talk about it differently. And we talk about language all the time on the show. I've changed this question up a million times and I kind of do it like jazz now and improvise depending on where the conversation goes. My, I really want to leave everybody with a really cool memory of your son. So what is 
your favorite memory that you go to? And do you have one? And if you don't have one, maybe you can share a couple. I know you've shared about his personality, but what are a couple of his, your favorite memories of him? All right. So these aren't even positive memories. And this is, goes back to impulsivity. Okay. So one time I'm out on my friend's deck and I hear fire engines and smoke and, and I knew like, that's my son. I just knew it. So we come across and the police are there and here's my son with his friend, Tommy, and they're standing here. And the police said to me, your son um, blew off fireworks. It's in August on the aqueduct. I don't know. I think it was 14 acres. They burnt down. They went back to the house to try to get a hose that didn't work. Um, but here's my son shit grin, right? And says to the, the police officer, I'm not allowed to speak without representation. Like, you're eight. Where did you? Like, so I said to him, like, where'd you get that from? He goes, law and order. <laughs> <laughs> or this is really quick. One time, because I wanted to show you his personality. We used to camp all the time with a bunch of families and him and Tommy, again, I get a call from the security guard. She goes, and they're about eight or nine. It's the same year that they burned up the woods. And uh, she says, listen, your boys just came in here and they bought all the hand soap. Now I'm telling you, my kid was not buying hand soap because he wants to clean his hands because he's probably been wearing the same fishing boots for like two nights, flipping his socks in and out. You know what I'm saying? Like he was not bathing. So I get in my golf cart and I go to look for them. And in front of the park, you know, the RV park is this like fountain. So there's my two. And I say, you know, my New York, the Jamooks, right? They were out there with the their rowboat and they had poured all the hand soap to see if the fountain would make bubbles like these are the things impulsivity wow that, that's great though those, yeah those are funny that's and that's what this is and that's why like to you have to have those good things and thank you thank oh, you yeah. so much for sharing those thank you for having me he was a curious he was a curious kid huh <laughs> <laughs> so the last question is if there was something that you could do that you would like to see done for mental health as a whole without any restraint, what would it be? I think personally as a whole, not one gen, you know, gen person. Um, I think that we should allow mental health days. Like we shouldn't have people feel afraid to call in and say, listen, I'm, I'm struggling today. Right. Because I know that people, um, feel like they need a couple of days break. And I always say now, like, if I need a break, I don't care. Take me to court. Like, I'm going to fight you. I will have AFSP come after you. I'll have attorneys come after you. We should be allowed to use time if there is that mental health component, right? Because we're so afraid that people will look at us and judge, but it's normal to need breaks. And I think there should be laws that allow for that. Even if it's a break because you're going to go and do something fun because you need that. You need to share time with your family. You need to feel some joy. And I think we need to change that. We're not work. We're not born to be workhorses. For, uh, we need a little bit. Not only laws, but I, I think we need we need real um, caring humans to enforce it. Correct. Absolutely. And that goes back to the fixing ourselves. Because at the end of the day, at the end of the day, the fact is, is that's the only thing you can fix is fix yourself. And right. that for me, for me, the greatest 
the greatest gratitude that I can express of going through all of my stuff throughout my entire life is the fact that I have grown into this and this is where my life is at. And I, as much as there's a lot of things going on in my life right now that I'm not happy with, I'm very, I will never change. I would never change my experience and I will not change the fact that I live with these thoughts about, well, you know, I could check out at some point because that is a choice that I could make because I've touched that darkness myself. Thank you so much for all you've done. Thank and, you. And thank you for just You guys spreading. have a great Sunday. <laughs> ah, thank got, you. One one quick thing, um, Donna. It, do, do you, um, are you into music? Do you have a favorite song or a song that reminds you of James? Or did James have a favorite song? All right. So, you know, like you always, like you'll say to your past, you somebody who has passed over, like send me a sign, like, and I'm so annoying. I'm sure he's like, oh my God, what do you want me to do? Like pull your hair? Like I'm always like, right. time. so um, my husband and I, like, you know, we were basically rock, right? And James got into Eminem, right? And when he first, he's like, mom, no, you have to listen to this. It's strong lyrics, right? And so my husband, if you meet him, like, you know, he drives a Harley, like, so he bought us both CDs when CDs were out. And um, so- I do a lot of Eminem because that reminds me of James. He taught me that lyrics just because it's rapping, you know, and I find him, uh, his words very poignant, um, you know, and there's a couple of suicide songs that sometimes I have to change the song because it'll just take me down. Sure. But, you know, there's songs that I play right before I walk out to present and so Eminem is like my guy from James. The music, I'm very, I love music. That's why like in my community, when we do the car show, these bands uh, donate their time because they're friends of mine from, you know, Dutchess County area that play in all the local places. And so I'm very fortunate. And I think music heals. I, I, I'm a true believer in that. Until next week, get well. Be safe. Stay above thank you for giving us a listen new episodes every wednesday if you listen on apple podcast you can share rate review and even subscribe so you'll never miss an episode other ways to support the show follow us on social media share the content share our episodes you can also buy us a coffee at buymeacoffee.com forward slash above ground pod for further concerns show ideas or just to say hi you can email us at above ground podcast at gmail once again thank you for listening and supporting mental health keep the conversation going and stay above